Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to our two incredible keynoters for the upcoming She Writes for Him Braveheart Conference coming to you virtually on March 19th and 20th. During the first half of the podcast, you're going to meet best-selling author and internationally known speaker and television host, Sheila Walsh. And then during the second half of the podcast, you're going to meet New York Times best-selling novelist, Karen Kingsbury. So first things first, let me give our first guest a proper introduction. From Scotland, Sheila is first a wife and mom, and in her spare time, she is an author, Bible teacher, and television host. She has spoken around the world to over 6 million women and reaches a potential 10 million people every day as co-host of the Life Today television program. Sheila loves to make the Bible practical, sharing how God met her at her lowest point and helped her to rise up again. Her message, God is for you. Sheila's books have sold over 5 million copies, including her latest bestseller, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. In February 2020, she released her newest book, Praying Women, How to Pray When You Don't Know What to Say. Texas is her home where she lives with her husband, son, and two little crazy dogs, Tink and Maggie, who happen to rule the roost. All right, let's roll that conversation. Well, Sheila Walsh, welcome to the All Things Podcast. It's just a delight to have you on today. It's so nice to reconnect with you, Athena. I appreciate this. Yeah, well, we are super, super excited to have you as one of our keynoters at the upcoming She Writes for Him Braveheart Conference. You know, I just love to be able to give our listeners kind of a peek into your life. I know the whole theme of this podcast is Romans 8.28, that God does work all things together for good, even the hard stuff for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And I've seen that in your life. And I would love to just, you know, my assumption for you was, oh, you must have just been a speaker and then you turned into a writer and come to find out you were actually a writer first. So I would love for our listeners just to hear your writing journey. And then I have a couple of questions to go on top of that. Sure. I mean, I never saw myself. I certainly never saw myself as a speaker. The thought of ever standing on a platform with a mic would have been terrifying to me. But there was something about writing that I find very therapeutic. My very first book that I wrote when I was still living in in England was called God Put a Fighter in Me. And it actually came from a song. Initially, I was a contemporary Christian artist. And I had a song called God Put a Fighter in Me. And someone asked me if I would be willing to write some of my story. And initially I was resistant because I thought some of my stories seemed very private. You know, a lot of it had to do with my father's death, which, you know, he took his life by suicide. And and yet I felt as if even in the midst of all that had been very hard, that, that I was still so aware of the love of God. So in that first book, I wrote as much as I understood. It's really fascinating to go back and read things you wrote a long time ago and realize that 
your understanding of what was happening was kind of, it was just incomplete. And so I started with that. And then when I came to America, I was, when I was part of the 700 Club, the publishing company approached me and said, you know, would you like to write a book? And I remember saying to them, you know, no, why, why would I write a book? And so their thing was, well, you know, you have a profile and you're well known. And I remember having this really interesting discussion with them about what about all the people who don't have a profile, but actually are brilliant writers or have a story that needs to be told. And it was kind of this, well, but if people don't know who they are, they won't buy the book. And it made me realize there's something about this journey that those of us who are writers are called to that is very challenging. You know, it's like, it's like, well, where's your audience? And but if you're a writer, then sometimes it's you're writing from a place of not necessarily a public place, but a place of discovery of what God's doing in your life. So it's always been a little challenging for me to to write because I thought, am I writing because there's an expectation from a publishing company? Or am I writing because God has placed something in my heart? And that's just such, you know, I mean, I've watched in the last 35 years it go from you know, now you have to have 10 or 25,000 followers in order to even get an agent who would be willing to represent you because all the companies want, you know, they want low risk, high profit. And, you know, that's just the way the industry is. And I think sometimes we don't realize, well, first of all, we need to be writing from that place of that's what God's called us to write, regardless of if it's you know, going to sell to a major publisher or not, but also just to fulfill that, that's, that's a step of obedience to write whatever God has you write. And I, I love that you've been willing to write the hard stuff. But, you know, it's interesting because I think we can either see ourselves as writers, as people who get published, or we can see that as a, almost as a spiritual discipline, as an offering to the Lord. That's how I've always seen writing, even at this stage where technically I might be, you know, better known than I was, you know, 30 years ago. But it's it's part of my spiritual journey. I mean, we all process information differently. And so when I was probably about 16, I had a really serious conversation with the Holy Spirit asking, you know, what should I give my whole life to? And three things became really clear. One was building up the body of Christ, I felt that there's a, there's a place for those of us who have some kind of a gift to encourage or to see maybe a little further down the, the line. So I, that was part of it, to build up the body of Christ, to introduce people to Jesus who've never met him, and then to care for the poor. And it's really interesting because the whole way along my journey, whether it was when I was in seminary or whether it was when I was the co-host of the 700 Club or the 20 years I spent with women of faith, or now through my work with Live Today Television with James and Betty Robeson, those three things have remained the, the heartbeat. And so when I, when I write, even now, that's very much part of it. You know, it's like I just came from a conference. I was speaking um, one of the first in-person conferences, which was, we were separated in distance, but it was so lovely to see people, you know. And halfway through my, my message, I suddenly had this huge compulsion that there's a couple of people who are listening to me and they don't know Jesus yet. And so I just paused in the middle of my message and, and asked, 
and three women gave their lives to Christ. Because wow. I'm like, I'm about to get to this great part of this message for believers. What if none? What if some of them are not believers yet? I didn't want them to miss out on that. But the, I think the the real key thing in my writing, I I look on as um, before the fall and after the fall. I I wrote quite a lot before my life collapsed, and I ended up. I spent a month in a psychiatric hospital, and Honestly, I never thought I would write again after that because I felt as if I'd spent so much of my life trying to be good enough for God. My father had a massive brain injury, and so he had tried to kill me before he took his own life. And so I felt like there's something really, really wrong with me. And I built a a real wall around my life so that I could be there for other people. I could write. I could speak. but, But nobody got back across the wall to where I was actually living. Because I felt my only value to God was that I would be the perfect Christian woman. My, my reasoning as a child, which carried into my life, was if your own father who once loved you seemed to hate you, it's possible that that could happen with God too. Hmm. But when my life collapsed and I ended up in a psych hospital the same age as my father was, it was the end of everything and it was the beginning of, of something new. And that changed the way I write. I'll bet the writing, you know, when you go through something like that and God redeems it, the writing has to just be so much more, there just a depth to it. I mean, you're giving someone else permission to say, yeah, I'm not okay either, you know, and that's so important. Yeah, I think that's really true. In fact, the first book that I wrote after my stay in the hospital was called Honestly, and I didn't write it to be a book. I wrote it as a journal. I didn't ever intend to publish it. It was, I felt like God was teaching me so much and I didn't want to forget anything. And one of the things when you have severe clinical depression, it can impact your memory. So I thought, I, I want to write that everything the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And then I was invited to come and speak for the very first time at Women of Faith. And I turned it down twice. You know, when they called me and said, would you like to be part of this team? I was like, Absolutely not. Because up until that point, I'd never been a speaker. I was a writer or I worked in television. (laughs) When I think about it now, I don't think the people who invited me to be part of Women of Faith realized I'd never spoken in public before. It's one, yeah, it's one thing to sit on television and interview someone or read prompter for the news. It's quite another to stand up on a platform. And so when Steve Arterburn, who began Women of Faith, called me and said, would you like to join the team? I said, absolutely not. And he called back again and he said, would you pray about it? And I said, I'd rather not. And he said, okay, (laughs) then would you come and meet some of the team? And we were living in California at that time. So I remember going and meeting with, it was Lucy Swindoll and Barbara Johnson and Marilyn Meeberg and Patsy Claremont was on the phone. And I sat there and I listened to them tell their stories. And for the first time, I thought, oh, my gosh, I actually could fit in here because the common theme was that Christ was the hero of all our stories. I always thought that women's ministry and women speakers were like, you know, 15 things to do with chicken or, you know, how to <laughs> raise, raise children who never rebelled. I, I always thought it was about perfect women giving perfect messages. But this was not that. This was women who were saying, I mean, Barbara Johnson talking about what it's like to go and identify your child who's been sent home from Vietnam in a body bag. Mm-hmm. Patsy Claremont talking about what it's like to live with agoraphobia and never leaving the house. And uh, Marilyn Meeber talking about what it's like to have a daughter who lived for 11 days. 
And so um, I remember thinking, I think I could be part of this. But, but that was terrifying for me. The first time I ever stood up to speak was in front of thousands of people. But the interesting thing was, even though I was terrified, at the end, I, I decided I wanted just to just hang around and at least give women a chance to say to me, well, that didn't make sense. Or what did you mean by that? But instead, I stood in line for two hours as women told me their stories. You know, I remember one woman saying, you're the first person who's ever told my story and you did it on a platform and you didn't explode. God didn't zap you with lightning. I feel like it's okay not to be okay. That is just such a powerful connection that, you know, in the church we're you know, hey, well, we're, that's the old life. We're not that anymore. And so we've got this whole thing that we're trying to prove that we're, you know, we're covered in the blood, our past is behind us, that doesn't affect us. And, and in reality, you know, sometimes we have to go to the wall to figure out, oh, yes, it does affect us and we need to let God in. And when you're transparent, like you are, like you, when you told your story from the platform and in your books since the meltdown, that gives women permission to, I can tell my own story. I, I, it's okay for me to admit that I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I feel suicidal at times or whatever. So I love yeah. that part about your ministry, that it just is helping others get free. Yeah. And I think it shows part of the nature of Christ that he's a redeemer. He redeems all the parts of our stories. And when we're willing to share those, it lets other people think, when they realize I'm not alone, I'm not the only one. Because I can't speak to somebody who's lost a child. I don't understand the weight of that pain. But those who listen to your podcast, you know, they, they know that. We all have a different story to tell. And God has not finished writing our stories. And so I think until we see Jesus face to face, we will always be a little incomplete, a lot, always a little bit broken. But I really believe that, in fact, I have a, a thing in our garden that my son made for me when he was five. He, he got this, it was like a paving stone, like a garden stone, kind of memory stone. And, you know, he decorated it all and put in, wrote in cement, I love you, mom. And it's also some bits of broken glass in it. And it's a daily reminder to me that it's a beautiful thing that God will do with a broken life if you give him all the pieces. Mm. Amen. What a great, I mean, I love that you have that reminder that you can see every day and remember because we're just, there's so many voices wanting us to be perfect when in reality it is the brokenness that allows Christ to shine through us and that speaks hope to others. On the glory, you know, we're on the top of the mountain and we're doing great. People don't relate to that. They relate to our brokenness. Yeah. And I think if you read through scripture, the Psalms are so brutally honest. You know, I was reading a thing that Athanasius wrote where he said that most of scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. They give us language. And I remember in the hospital reading Psalm 34, where David has been in a devastating place. He's being chased by Saul. He actually pretended to be insane and then is thrown out of another city and he's in a cave. And he writes, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. And he goes on to say, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
But I just think there's something that brokenness teaches us that pretend wholeness never will. Amen. Well, we, I just can't tell you how excited everyone is for you to be part of this She Writes for Him conference coming up March 19th and 20th, because there's just a bunch of women coming together who have gone through their own struggles and want God to use their stories to give others hope and to, to touch others' hearts and impact people for Christ. And we're just super excited for you to be part of it and just can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to having that time with you. And uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Do you have any just last thoughts that you would want to leave our listeners with just to help them kind of center on the fact that really, even when they can't see it, God is working all things together for good? Yeah, I remember the summer that I was free before I went to seminary in London. I had eight weeks and I decided to volunteer at a senior citizen center where they would go for coffee or lunch or spend the whole day. And there was one gentleman I could never reach. He would sit with his back to the wall for lunch. He wouldn't come and join the others at the table. So I tried to reach him. And I remember sitting down with him one day and saying, um, hi, my name is Sheila and I, I live here in Scotland. But one day I'm going to go to America. And his face just lit up. And he said, my name is George. I'm from America. If you ever get to Poughkeepsie, tell him George said hi. And from, from that day, whenever I showed up at the center every morning, no matter what else was happening, he would call out, she came. And I think that's how God feels when every day when we just sit in his presence with what's working, with what's not working, with joy in our faces or tears in our eyes. I think you need to hear your father call over you. She came. Mm. Amen. Thank you so much, Sheila. Do you have a story to tell? Do you have a book idea in your head and heart, but you really don't know where to start? Have you outlined, written a proposal, or finished a first draft, but are feeling discouraged at your progress? Maybe feel like you're not a good enough writer to tell your story in a way that others will want to read it? Are you stuck in your creative process or confused about how to tell the story that God is nudging you to write? Well, I've got great news for you. My name is Athena Dean Holtz, and I'm the host of the upcoming She Writes For Him Braveheart Writing Conference. And I want to encourage you to give yourself a priceless gift that will help your writing dream come true. We're going to have two days of a power-packed live online event with 20-plus publishing industry professionals to help you strengthen, sharpen, write, and market your message. Four powerful and inspiring keynote messages that will encourage and inspire you as a writer, Publishing industry experts and best-selling authors share their secrets and wisdom for success. A panel of literary agents share what they're looking for and how to schedule a meeting with them. And pre-conference mini bootcamp tracks are available this year, which is brand new, for fiction, nonfiction, and memoir writing. At the end of these two days, you will gain confidence and know how to discover your brave heart for him and his story in you. 
Find purpose in your pain and discover effective methods to communicate and write about your most difficult experiences. Break through the obstacles that hold you back from writing and finishing your project. Jumpstart your writing, expand your influence, and nurture your gifts and calling. And connect with other writers and Jesus followers who get you find your tribe. Let me just read you one comment from last year's conference. Her words were, do it. This conference is paradigm shifting and soul freeing at the same time. The raw honesty of each of the presenters was such a gift. And I saw us as co-laborers, sisters in the field, rather than speaker and attendee. Felicia Ferguson. So, hey, for all the details, visit SheWritesForHimConference.com and sign up now. The event will be live, but the recordings will be available for 30 days after the event. We hope to see you there. All right, we are back for the second segment in today's All Things Podcast. So let me introduce you to Karen Kingsbury. Karen Kingsbury, number one New York Times bestselling novelist, is America's favorite inspirational storyteller. With more than 25 million copies of her award-winning books in print. Her last dozen titles have topped the bestseller lists and many of her novels are under development with Hallmark Films and as major motion pictures. Her Baxter family books are being developed into a TV series slated for major network viewing sometime in the next year. Karen is also an adjunct professor of writing at Liberty University. In 2001, she and her husband Don adopted three boys from Haiti, doubling their family in a matter of months. Today, the couple has joined the ranks of empty nesters living in Tennessee near five of their adult children. All right, here we go. All right, well, I just am so excited to have you on the All Things Podcast, Karen. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Athena. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Well, I just uh, have such uh, fond memories of in my very first month of having my radio show, Always Faithful, you were one of my interviews at the International Christian Retail Show, and that was so much fun. So it's been a while since we've been face-to-face, so good to see you today. Yeah, it's good to see you. So we are really excited to have you with us for the upcoming She Writes for Him Braveheart 2021, which is our virtual conference. And just love that you're one of our keynoters and you're bringing just more value to the whole fiction aspect and genre of the writing craft. And So you're going to inspire our attendees and encourage them in that aspect of writing. And so we're, we're just super excited to have you, but we just have a short time today. Let's start out with, because our show, our podcast is all about God's faithfulness and how he's always working all things together for good for those who love him, 
and are called according to his purposes. We would love to hear a Romans 8.28 story that is one of your favorites to share. Absolutely. And I'm so excited about the conference. Um, obviously, this is the perfect theme, right? I mean, just the idea that God makes good out of the times that we don't see it always. And we don't always see it maybe for a while. But the story that I love to share is my youngest son, Austin, was born with a heart defect and it laid low. He had emergency heart surgery as an infant, but then it kind of laid low and he was able to go on with life and play sports and whatnot. He became a real avid football player and he he's six five. So he's a big, big guy and he was he's very fast. And by the time he was in 10th grade, he was getting letters even from like Ohio State, like big schools wanting to kind of start recruiting him. But that was the same time that we took our annual appointment to the doctor and the doctor said, you know, you cannot play another down. Like you are done with football. And he had no idea that was coming. And I was with him. We, if we'd known, we would have had my husband with us too. We had no idea that football, his dream since he was probably six, um, was going to be taken away from him that day. Uh, we grieved. The coach came over that night, prayed with him and, and, you know, grieved with us. And as a young guy, I think it was really hard for him to see what God was going to do with that. But the next day at school, the choir director came up to Austin and said, you know, the auditions have already passed, but if you're interested, we'd love to have you join choir. Small enough school that the, the, they knew that he was devastated. So he needed something and he auditioned and he made it. And he became a person who like loves singing. He loves the arts. And now, I mean, he, he he's just graduated from Liberty University and with a communications degree. He was in two of their musicals. Um, he wants to be an actor. He was actually in a very big movie that's coming out called 12 Mighty Orphans that's going to be hitting, I think, this fall. So it was, a, you know, we look at it now and it was painful. It was, it was really tough, but it was definitely a Romans 828 moment. Wow. I love that, how God will use things like that to completely redirect our lives. And we exactly. don't, and we don't see it coming. Wow. I love that. So let's just start. I would love our listeners to hear a little bit about your writer's journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started writing when I was five and I was that kid. In fact, we have a grandson Hudson who's doing this now. Like he has to write it down and he may not have all the sentences and letters right, but he grabs pages and he staples it together. And that's what I did. My first book was called The Horse, five years old, stapled together, all of the words slanted hard down to the right and everything was spelled wrong. I think even the title was spelled wrong. And um, that was the beginning. And then I wrote through all, you know, high school. I just, and the journalism, I did the poetry thing in middle school, high school journalism and yearbook. And then I got my degree from Cal State Northridge in journalism. And I wrote for the Los Angeles Times as a sports writer of all things to begin with. And I was actually had been moved over to the front page to do kind of the emotional wrap up story of the biggest thing going on that week for the Sunday edition. So I was a general assignment reporter and we found out that we were expecting our first child. And that, that was unexpected for me and my husband. So we just began to pray like, Lord, you know, journalism for me was plan B because I really wanted to be a novelist, but I was heavily into plan B and I was liking it. And we lived in a garage apartment. Like we didn't, it was just all of it was unexpected. So we began to pray. It was actually my husband's idea. Let's pray that you can find a way to work at home and write at home. And I kind of scoffed at that. Like I prayed doubtfully. He prayed, you know, faithfully. And I had a story that I sold to People Magazine and it was in People Magazine the very month that Kelsey was born. 
and an agent saw it in New York and he contacted me and he said, this would make a great true crime book. Well, I mean, here I am, I'm like 26. I have a newborn baby girl and a wonderful marriage and teaching Sunday school and love the Lord. And I've never even read a true crime book. Like no idea, you know, what I would be doing. There's no internet. You know, you can't check things out like you could today. So I wrote a sample chapter and an outline, not seeing this as the answer. Cause I asked him, you know, how, what do they, do they pay you up front or how does it even work with this kind of thing? And this wasn't the kind of book I had planned on writing. And I mean, he said, you know, maybe a few thousand dollars, like you've never written a book, but anyway, he got into a bidding war between Avon and Dell at that time. And when he called me, called me three days before my maternity leave was up. And he said, you need to sit down. I got it into a bidding war. And it turned out that like we were praying for my salary, which wasn't much, but it was still, we needed that to survive. And he said this, he gave us the, he told me the amount and it was three times my annual salary. And it was, it was the kind of thing where he would take his percentage, obviously. And then the first check I would get for signing the contract was $11 and 89 cents more than I made a year. It was like only God could do that. So like, it's not a clear formulated path for me, of course. And so then I had an agent and I had, you know, went in the next day and quit my job. And I think we went to like Denny's and got, you know, a salad to celebrate with our $11 and it was the beginning. And I've been home writing books ever since I, my first novel wasn't, I had four true crime books. My first novel wasn't published until I was 34. And I say that to give hope to the people out there, like, you know, the aspiring writers who are listening to this, it's never too late. We had moved from LA to Arizona we were in Cottonwood, Arizona, a one high school town where my husband was working. I did not have anything and I didn't want to do any more true crime. So I had nothing in the wings, no prospects of how I was going to turn this to a fiction thing and God opened the doors. I, I wrote my first novel there and it took a couple of years before I got it published. And, and I've been writing books ever since. Wow. Well, I love that. So I've read some of your books and I remember the one that I read right after I interviewed you about the guy that was on the American Idol or that story. Yeah. And 15. Uh, yeah. Yes. And uh, so do you use fiction to tell maybe some hard stories through the characters that maybe wouldn't be able to be written in nonfiction? Definitely. I mean, I, I would have to say, you know, that, that story, we watched American Idol and we did with our kids back in the day. It was always a sweet family time to watch that. And it wasn't crazy at that point. And, and it's, it's still, there's still an awful lot of faith that's involved, I think, in American Idol. And there was Colton Dixon. He's a good friend now, but he went through quite a struggle. Like he had quite a journey on American Idol where they pulled him and pulled him and pulled him trying to tempt him with a fame that would mean sacrificing and compromising his faith and who he really was. And what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? And so watching him, and I didn't know him then. We got to do events later and, and got to be close. He lives in our area, he and his wife. But I, I, that was my inspiration. So sometimes I see a hard thing playing out in real life. And then I spin that into something that's fiction. And sometimes it's my personal story as well. Like, you know, losing my dad in 2007, we had a, an amazing like angel encounter. I don't know what else to say. A police officer that ran into the house when my dad was virtually dead and began praying with my mom and paramedics giving him CPR at that time. Like all of a sudden, as they said, in Jesus name, amen, he was back alive and he was breathing. 
And uh, they took him to the hospital. He lived another six weeks. And when my mom looked for him, tried to thank him, that police officer, there was no, nobody ever named that name, no one with that badge number. And I turned that into an aspect of the Angels Walking series. That, you know, the idea that from Hebrews 2, we know that there are angels that God sends that sometimes you entertain a stranger, you're entertaining an angel. Mm, Amen. I love that. So we're going to wrap up here in a minute. Tell us what your latest, you have a book that's actually just out right now. Why don't you tell us about that one? And then the next one that's coming out in April. Yeah, a couple of years ago, my publisher, Simon & Schuster, said, you know, these Baxter characters, what if we wrote about them when they were children? What if you did that? And I already was writing, I'm still writing two adult novels, you know, uh, grown-up novels a year that come out generally in the spring and in the fall. So I didn't know how I would have time to do, you know, a children's middle grades kind of story for eight to 12-year-olds. But I called my son and I said, hey, because he's such a good writer and he's young. And I was like, you remember your childhood really well. It was just yesterday, right? (laughs) So I said, how would you like to help me and and partner with me on this? So he and I co-write these books. We write the outline together. He does the first draft. I do the kind of next layer. And we have these great books. The first one was Best Family Ever and then Finding Home. And now this one that just released today is called Never Grow Up. And my goodness, Athena, it is just, I read them and I still like laugh out loud. And those are Tyler's parts. And then I'm still wiping a tear because I know what it is to see your kids grow up. Yeah. Wow. And then you have Distant Shore is coming out in April, right? Yes. And that will take us a a little, like that's a standalone book. There's no Baxters in it. And it deals with two really lonely people and a very strong and capable FBI agent whose name is Jack Ryder. And he is an undercover agent who breaks up international trafficking rings, sex trafficking, drug trafficking, that kind of thing. And then a a girl, a 19 year old girl, who's, uh, she's the kept, she was the kept daughter of a very dark kingdom of trafficking. And she was untouched, but they were saving her for, to bring two drug families and trafficking families together. So she had a horrible life. And once she's set free, she wants to work undercover. So she and Jack, so I have Eliza and Eliza and Jack, they work together undercover and pretend to be married as they go about and, and try to break up these trafficking rings. And it's one of my, I, I really, when I, when I put the end at the end of A Distant Shore, I thought, how will I ever top this book? It's, I love it so much. I really do. I just think, I just thank God that he just dropped it in my lap and gave me this story for my heart to share with you. It's really, I think it's my redeeming love in many ways, Mm. you know, just this, this girl who's seen and been through so much and then to see her with this, you know, heartbroken, but very capable undercover agent. Like they have such a commonality and yet nothing in common at the same time. Right. So it's beautiful. I'm really thankful for it. Mm. I can't wait to read that. Well, If we have some ladies listening today who would like to connect with you on social media or where, where's the best place for them to find you? And the best place is my website. So KarenKingsbury.com and to sign up for my newsletter, you know, the Baxters are about to be released as a TV show. We have three seasons already filmed, Wow, which is incredible. And right now, Roma Downey, who's not only the executive producer, but she is also playing the role of Elizabeth, the matriarch of the family. She and MGM are working to find the exact right network or platform where that show should go. And we should have an announcement anytime. And when that happens, it'll go out through my newsletter. And they can sign up for the newsletter 
there on my website at, at karenkingsbury.com and they can connect with me on social media, you know, Karen Kingsbury on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook as well. Wonderful. Well, we sure look forward to uh, having you in just less than a month now at the She Writes for Him Braveheart Conference. So those of you that are listening today, make sure you go to SheWritesForHimConference.com and get all the details. We would love to have you with us and you will not want to miss Karen Kingsbury at that event. Karen, thanks so much for being with us today. It has been an absolute delight. Thank you, Athena. I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next week. Bye for now.